Welcome to the Kyra Mom Podcast. Three moms who are chiropractors discussing life, health, business, and friendship. We know how hard it is to try to be everything for everybody. We believe you can do anything, but not everything. I'm Dr. Holly, lover of all things numbers and health. I'm a profit coach for chiropractors, wife to a sports chiro, and mom to two kid chefs. And I'm Dr. Sarah, founder of a wellness center in rural Wyoming. I'm a wife, mother, and lover of horses, books, and mountains. I'm Dr. Goldie, a small biz CEO, a business coach for Cairo Moms, and a wife, mother, California mermaid, and a mini farmer. If you are a stressed out, overwhelmed mom trying to do it all, you're in the right place. Welcome to episode 34 of the Cairo Mom podcast. Um, As you have heard in the last few episodes, we kind of branched off and we're doing some birth stories on the side, which has been super fun for us to record. And today I am just extra delighted because I have my best friend, Dr. Jen Mitchell, who agreed to be on the podcast to talk about her birth stories um, and her experiences with her two boys. And she had some pretty unique experiences. So I think you, you're all really going to enjoy hearing her experiences. So Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah. <laughs> it is a pleasure to join you guys on the podcast. And so, yeah, I met you in chiropractic school. So I am a chiropractor as well. I am a chiro mom too. A long um, time ago when we were babies. <laughs> Pre we all the have, children. <laughs> we have a plethora of experience is what we that do. Is. We do. We have we a plethora have of experiences. Experience. We have a plethora of children now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were friends pre-kids. Oh, so um, um, will you introduce yourself? Tell the, our audience a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days. So my name is Jennifer Mitchell. I am a chiropractor. I'm also an army spouse. Um, I met my husband online and we've been married for 12 years now. And with being married in the military, that includes a lot of travel. And so we have lived in, I've lived in five different homes since we've been married, uh, five different duty stations. I'm trying to make sure that's right. I, sh- I lose count after so many moves. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Um, that's about right. 12 years, move every two or three years, five places. Yeah. Um, and so my first child was born in Germany while John was deployed by C-section by German doctors and nurses, some of whom did not speak English. And then um, shortly thereafter, Matthew joined us and we were stateside at that time. So um, very different experiences and a lot of lessons learned. Yes. So let's dive in. Do you want to take us back to um, your ex- your experience being pregnant the first time? Um, <laughs> do you I'm remember? It's, it's been a while. Yes, <laughs> uh, that memory of being pregnant the first time prevents me from subsequent pregnancy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we remember Matthew very well. <laughs> I was exhausted. I'm not one of those pregnant women who um, really enjoy pregnancy and I've met those women and I'm envious of those women. And I try to support my body in order to enjoy pregnancy better. 
but I've not had that experience. I am exhausted. I am nauseous until 25 weeks pregnant. I, um, it's just, it kind of feels like I have to rest a lot more than I'm used to. And so I would often go to work and then come home and nap and then get up and make dinner and then go to bed. And that was my day. Somebody, the fatigue was mind-numbing. Somebody was asking me recently what the hardest part of working during my pregnancies was. Um, She was actually a chiropractic student who was, and I was, it was really interesting to have this conversation with her for starters. Like nobody had this conversation with me before I got pregnant being a chiropractor. And I had no idea what to experience. Like, can I still work? Can we still do our job? But anyway, what I was telling her was actually what my experience was, was the hardest was in the beginning. Cause I was so tired and so nauseous that it was really challenging to go to work <laughs> in the beginning. It's really hard to focus on anything except yes. for how tired and nauseous you feel. Yes. So I, I think it's important we put that out there and let people know that that's really normal. That's a common, unfortunately common and very normal pregnancy experience. Well, it's just your body acclimating to this cascade of hormones that is happening in your body to support a pregnancy. But yeah, it's exhausting. And I was tired. And at that point, I was already pretty old for in pregnancy terms. So that I don't think advanced that maternal age, all. geriatric yeah. pregnancy. Oh yeah. Good, they good were running stuff. all the tests on me though. <laughs> yeah. So what about, tests. <laughs> how was your prenatal care? Um, I'm trying to remember you had most of that in Germany. Yes. All of it was all, in Germany. That's right. And um, yeah, they did some advanced ultrasound imaging to determine if there was any genetic defects once we got back to the States, it was just a blood test. But in Germany, they were doing lots of ultrasounds. There was ultrasounds every single visit. Interesting. Um, and that's not just uh, an advanced maternal age thing. That is a German thing. Or maybe it's a the German hospital wants to build TRICARE thing. I'm not sure. But all of the Americans also got ultrasounds every single visit. That was a very common experience, giving birth overseas. Interesting. Um, and yeah, he was, I mean it was a great guy. I like the nurses, they would take my blood every single visit to, um, the doctor I worked with, um, he was also a fertility doctor. So he was the one who was like, we were having some troubles getting pregnant and he was the one saying, okay, you, your progesterone is low post ovulation. We'll need to do like, and he didn't actually provide any intervention. I happened to have some bioidentical progesterone cream that I started to use once I got that diagnosis. And um, I'm not sure if that was the reason it helped or not. Hmm. It, I mean, it's such a low dose. I'm not sure it would make a huge difference. However, within a few months, and it was, it was kind of a timing thing too. TRICARE was only providing a couple of referrals. So like I used up my three visits with just blood work and a consultation and more blood work. And then it was like, okay, now we have a diagnosis. Now I have to go back and get more visits <laughs> to go back and see the doctor. Oh. And when I went back and saw him, John was already deployed. And he's like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. And I was like, well, actually, I think I might be pregnant. And it was like, I had tested maybe three days prior. I just happened to have this appointment that was weeks out. And he, uh, he verified the pregnancies Just come back in two weeks and see if we can find a heartbeat. And we did. And that was Christopher. <laughs> the so. very beginning at the very beginning. 
at I, the very beginning. Just to clarify, in case you don't know what TRICARE is, that's the military health insurance that um, active duty, correct me if I'm wrong, active duty and their spouses and dependents are covered under. Yes. And that's what you were using um, in Germany. Yes, it's um, it's very basic insurance, but it does cover all of our needs. And so we are very grateful for that health insurance. It's not always, you know, it's hit or miss with care. I've actually been very lucky with my doctors under TRICARE. I've heard some very bad stories being in the healthcare as a, as a healthcare professional, but um, I've always been very lucky with my practitioners that they listen and they're caring and they want to help. So, right but with where we were stationed <clears throat> in Germany, we were not attached to an American hospital that was out in the Western part of Germany. We were in the Eastern part of Germany. So our military treatment facility only covered basic preventative care. Anything else, like I was referred uh, to a German endocrinologist, uh, I have a Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I was referred, and all the uh, OB care was done by German doctors in a German hospital. So it's a very unique experience. <laughs> <laughs> Did your doctors speak English? Oh, yes. Very oh, well. Good. Right on. So uh, the nurses uh, spoke English fairly well. Sometimes you didn't understand what they were saying, but Dr. Krieg was uh, extremely fluent and easy to understand. Right on. So, yes. So take us up to, you know, getting to the end of your pregnancy in Germany. I have, I, I know that your husband was still deployed at this time. <laughs> and uh, your, your best friend was over in the States wishing she could hop on a plane and come be with you, but I could not. I understand my best friend also had small children. <laughs> that was the problem. That was the problem. Cross an ocean. In order I know. To I know. Um, I did uh, finagle my parents to come out and help. Yes. My husband, John happened to have the longest deployment in the whole regiment. And he had to get special permission from uh, a colonel, I believe a colonel or a one-star general. Because their deployment was not supposed to last longer than 270 days. And they kept him there longer. He was one of the first to leave. He was one of the last to get out of the country for that unit. Um, and I don't know why they needed his brain so much. But yeah, he was 19 days late. <laughs> Christopher, Christopher was born and he didn't get home until 19 days later. Um, so yeah, I... Uh, and another thing about the German system is they do not like you to go over. They very much monitor your week progression. So, okay, I'm at 40 weeks. Any contractions? Hmm, not really. <laughs> and so they were asking about other symptoms. I was having non-stress tests every other day after 40 weeks. Wow. Oh, my. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> um, I'm like, I still feel fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. Um, and something that I learned after the fact, after Christopher was born, was that it's very hard to advocate for yourself in a foreign country, especially like even with my extensive background knowledge of the healthcare system as a healthcare professional, it was very hard for me to say, no, no, thank you. I don't need that right now. <laughs> so I think I wish I would have gotten fewer interventions. Um, and but it was, I felt very much shuttled along in their, in their healthcare system. And 
I think I finally got to about 10 days past due and I started to lose my mucus plug and I wasn't quite sure what, what, what that was when it happened because there was more blood than I was expecting with that. And so my mom convinced me to go to the hospital just to get checked out. Well, no contractions really yet, but once they had me there at 10 days past due, it was time to start inductions. So I got an IV started and, well, we'll just monitor you. They monitor me overnight. I slept there overnight. Not very well. <laughs> new environment um and i'm looking like they still have me strapped up to uh, a monitor and I'm like okay guess i'm having a contraction now <laughs> they were not real contractions i couldn't feel them <laughs> um so then we started gosh what did we do now i forget one was the cervidil which did nothing and then a day later, we did maybe half a pill of Cytotec, which started something, but nothing productive. And they started to wheel me up into the labor room because the contractions by the monitor standards were getting stronger. I still wasn't feeling much. And um, I remember the midwife, because they have a lot of midwives in the German system, which I was very, I thought that was a great idea. But um, she was basically prepping me for surgery already. <laughs> they were wheeling me into the, the, the labor room and she's like, do you have any jewelry on? <laughs> I just thought about that's a weird question to ask if you're wheeling me into labor. Um, but they kind of kind of saw the writing on the wall back then. Once I got in the labor room, they started some Pitocin. That's when contractions picked up very strongly. I didn't ever get a break. They broke my water. There was meconium in the water. Um, Shortly after that, they started an epidural, which was heaven. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> after a lot of pressure, and I'm, I did not want an epidural, but I was able to relax after that. And it was just, oh, that was fantastic. And a lot of people, there's a risk involved with an epidural of it not working well or um, it not being administered well. And I had experienced none of that. <laughs> it was just wonderful it was perfect the first time um and the pain relief was fantastic pitocin contractions are are pretty horrific like that is those contractions are nothing like a a normal you know quote unquote contraction your body produces absolutely they were just there was no break in between they were just one on top of each other and they weren't really doing what they were supposed to be doing and getting and progressing baby downward, they were just squeezing painfully. And so it was, it was not a fun time. <laughs> My mom was there, she was uh, being helpful. She was, you know, watching over the homestead when she wasn't with me in the hospital. And she was just trying to offer some advice here and there, but it was really just me contracting with Pitocin and trying to, uh, trying to get this baby out still on the monitor and so I could hear after every contraction his heart rate descend decline and then the midwife kind of did some checking and poked around and the doctor comes in and does some checking and pokes around and then they go and meet in a room that's attached to the labor room they're talking together their little heads are together and I'm like I looked at my mom I said I'm gonna have a c-section and uh 
come back that said, so his heart rate is declining after every contraction and you're not progressing very much. And if you had, you know, six more centimeters to go, four more centimeters to go, we'd let you keep going, but you're at a two. And so we need to, we need to have a C-section and get him out. We're not sure how he's gonna do tolerate this labor, this induced labor. He probably would have tolerated normal labor just fine. So and I had a section and it was from what I've heard other people having their terrible C-section experiences, it was probably one of the best C-section experiences I've had. There's no pain. Um, I think I had some moderate discomfort that evening, but I was never on strong painkillers. I was up and walking the next day and it was challenging, but it was, did not last long. Um, so yeah, there was no prolonged back pain. There was no prolonged um, abdominal pain or pressure. There was, I mean, they really took care of me, but it was the exact opposite outcome that I wanted. Right. <laughs> I was really looking forward to a natural birth and I had heard so much about the German system being that they really supported that outcome. Um, but that wasn't the case in my case. Every so hospital kind of is different. Every doctor is different. Yeah. yeah. Even around the world. Yes. What was your postpartum so. experience like? I'm pretty sure I've blocked that out. Very <laughs> 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 hard. Breastfeeding came very hard for me. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect having a newborn. Um, I'm pretty sure Christopher has a very hidden posterior tongue tie, which made nursing hard. Um, it wasn't particularly painful. It just didn't seem like he was gaining anything. And actually I was on IV fluids for a full 24 hours before he was delivered. So he was born at uh, eight pounds, 11 ounces, I think. And then he lost a bunch of weight and they were really concerned. And then they did blood work on him and said he had a high C-reactive protein and needed to be on antibiotics for what reason they don't know. And then he started producing what they call brick dust diapers. And that was like, oh, he's not hydrated enough. He has to be on a supplement with formula. And it was just very stressful. It was hard to get out of the hospital in Germany. And they often didn't have very good food. <laughs> So it was, I was like, I just want to go home and mm. be in my bed. And it was hard to get released. Um, so I wasn't, and then, you know, being overseas, I had to have a special power of attorney <laughs> to get coverage for my son. So um, they have a system called, it's the acronym is DEERS for military. And that says, yes, this child is the dependent of a active duty service member and they are entitled to the TRICARE benefits and also whatever other benefits are extended to us as guests in Germany living on an American post. And um, so we basically had to decide Christopher's name ahead of time. So I had the special power of attorney signed oh, by interesting. the attorney and my husband saying that I could name my child and apply for like a certificate of, of birth abroad and wow. 
to get his, I mean, he has a German birth certificate and then he has the certificate of birth abroad that proves he is a United States citizen. So I had to have that in order to prove that he was a United States citizen and not just a random kiddo that I had in Germany. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so we had to go, we had appointments we had to do. We had to apply for his passport. We were on orders. I don't think we had actually had firm orders until May and he was born in March. But we knew we were going to Texas next. And in order for us to all travel together, Christopher needed a passport. <laughs> the passport office was backed up. So fast forward until four days before we flew, <laughs> we had to go to Frankfurt because his passport still hadn't come through and we, we kind of all had to leave together. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we had to go to Frankfurt to get an emergency passport so Christopher could leave the country and with enter your, America with us. With your tiny baby and you still recovering and yeah. Oh yeah. Well, at that point we we're actually living in a hotel, but so we didn't have a house anymore. We had sold our car, um, shipped one of our cars, sold the other car, had a rental car, had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to drive across the country. It's a big, uh, four hour drive to have our 8am appointment at the consulate in Germany. Dang. The embassy in Germany <laughs> to get an emergency passport for Christopher so he could fly out of Munich with us like four days later. <laughs> wow. And then you so, flew across an ocean with your, what, <laughs> six, six week old? No, he was 10 weeks. By that oh, time. that's right. Okay. Still. So, <laughs> yeah. It was, like I said, it was kind of a, that postpartum time. It was trying to recover, trying to feed, keep him fed. Um, and then my parents left and then I was alone for five days and it was basically, we didn't live on post. So we lived, we were one of, I think two Americans in a very small German town. My landlord, he just lived below us. He was very sweet. He could be there for anything that we, I needed. He didn't speak very good English. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to communicate what I needed. Um, and then five days later, John came home, had his home coming. And then that was a whole acclamation of, he left when we didn't even know I was pregnant yet. And he comes back to a newborn baby and um, he didn't quite know what to do. Like, okay, why is he crying? I'm like, I don't know why he's crying. He's fed, he's changed. Well, why is he crying? Cause he's a baby and doesn't know what else to say. <laughs> why he's crying. Oh, talk about survival mode. Wow. Yes. So lots and lots of survival. Oh my goodness. So take us forward to um, when you found out you were surprised pregnant with, with number (laughs) two, not too long after. Uh, Yeah. So by the time, so Christopher was born in March, John got home in April. We left Germany in like late May, maybe early June, stayed with my parents for about six weeks until we could, you know, we were kind of waiting for our household goods to get shipped overseas. We visited John's parents, and then we were getting settled in our house in El Paso, which included getting our car shipped, Um, getting unpacked finally. I think that was in August. (laughs) We finally received our household goods. And then uh, October rolls around. It's like, oh, surprise. (laughs) 
you can't get your cycle back, but now you have another baby on the way. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that was another, that was, you know, again, I'm a healthcare professional. I've studied anatomy and physiology. I know how this works. However, I expected to get my cycle back. Well, and with the challenges you'd had getting pregnant the first time, I'm, yeah. You just completely forget how very fertile your body is after that first pregnancy. It can be. I've seen, I've seen that happen with many, with many people where their, their first pregnancy is somewhat of a reset for their hormonal system that happened with me too. And so issues that you had before might not be issues you have later, what, whatever that might be from fertility to menstrual cycle problems and things like that. So surprise. And so how do you tell that you're pregnant if you haven't had a cycle in over a year? Well, if you're pumping breast milk and feeding that to your baby and your baby suddenly rejects the flavor of your breast milk, that's your first clue. Interesting. (laughs) That was my first clue. I could pump one bottle for him a day and I did. Um, And then we supplemented with formula. And by the way, PSA, German formula, or I guess it's a, a UK formula, but Germany had its own um, variation of uh, HIP. HIPP is way better, leaps and bounds above everything that we can get in America. We tried to switch Christopher when we moved and he was not having it. HIP is just, it's, it blends better. It doesn't smell nasty and it didn't completely constipate him either. It was just leaps and bounds about what we can get. I don't know why that is. Hmm. Um, I went off on a tangent. Oh, but his breast milk bottle was like his favorite bottle. Like I could wake him up in the morning and give him um, one bottle and then I would pump and then I'd give him that breast milk bottle before his first nap. And that would be like his favorite meal of the day. (laughs) (laughs) And then he rejected it. He just spit that bottle out. No, thank you, mom. Like, what is this? I'm like, what is going on? How did it change flavor? Oh, wow. (laughs) So your hormones change. When you get pregnant, some kids have no problem. I know lots of moms who are able to tandem nurse all the way through pregnancy and like even nurse a toddler and a newborn and they really do well with that. But Christopher was not having it. (laughs) I, so I was nursing my two-year-old when I became pregnant with my second and my experience was my supply just tanked like immediately. I, I just, and it, you know, it can be because I already had a toddler. It wasn't like I was nursing an infant. Um, but yeah, my supply tanked and it very quickly became rather painful. And so we, we were done then. <laughs> <laughs> and we're moving on. Yes. So, uh, there was that and there was something, Oh, I think I had turned over on the couch. And I got a sharp pain in my right round ligament. And I went, oh, <laughs> I felt this What's pain that? before. <laughs> That's, I have to go get a test. I have to go get a test. Because there was no other indication that I might be. I mean, there would be eventually. But uh, yeah, got a test and tested the next day. And then immediately texted you. And was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> what Guess <is> what? <laughs> I tell oh. somebody. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, told later. Oh my you goodness! Were the first one to know I was pregnant. With I you. remember. I remember. I was in, <laughs> I was in shock for you. I felt all the emotions that you were feeling. There was joy, but there was also, you know, 
um, shock. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was just shouting two under two. Uh-huh. Really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to do this? <laughs> I pretty much blocked that part out too, but they're still alive. Mm-hmm. I still have two kids. So See, they, they live. it's fine. And it's, it's, it's worked out well. <laughs> so, yeah. Was your pregnancy <gasps> with Maddie fairly similar, similarly challenging? It seems like it was a little bit easier, but not by much. There's still a lot of nausea. I remember because I uh, eat gluten-free to support my thyroid and help decrease inflammation that goes along with the Hashimoto's. And I remember texting John saying, you need to bring me home saltine crackers. He's like, I don't think I can find gluten-free saltine crackers. I'm like, I don't care. Bring me home saltine crackers. (laughs) And that was for about six weeks. I could eat gluten without any pain or bloating. And it actually helped quell the worst of the nausea. And then it started coming back around week 12 or week 13 so I dropped gluten again um that was just my personal experience with that because I don't I've not tested celiac it was just my way of coping through that hard time and then having you know a nine month ten month old baby who's is very energetic and wanting to explore and I just want to like lay on the ground like oh my gosh I'm so tired um oh I don't goodness. I was I was still getting sick, but I wasn't as nauseous with Matthew. The heartburn, I remember the heartburn was crazy with him. And he was a hairy little dude when he came out. So I'm not sure if there's any weight to that old wife's tale, but that's what I'm claiming. So what was the birthing situation like? You're you're in El Paso, Texas now. Um, What was El Paso, Texas? What were your options like then? Well, here's an interesting story too, because I started off with army medicine. They have an army hospital um, there in El Paso and my blood pressure kept coming back elevated, sometimes as high as like 152 over 90. And they're like, yeah, we may let you try for a feedback. We may, we may induce you at 37 weeks. We don't like this. I mean, I was doing all of the tests. I did the blood work test to determine any DNA deficiencies. And we also found out Matthew was another boy at 11 weeks. Um, but they had me doing the 24-hour urine collection test to see if there was protein in my urine because my blood pressure was high. And there was no other indication that anything was wrong except for my blood pressure was high. And I had experiencing so much fatigue and nausea that I wasn't getting regular chiropractic care. And then I went back to my chiropractor at 14 weeks. And I was like, so I've been absolutely, I've been very tired. Now I'm pregnant. But he did the most solid C1 adjustment I think I've ever had. And after that time, my blood pressure went back to normal. And I have right no on. other reason to account for why it would drop. Um, right on. I ended up switching practitioners. I started going to um, Texas Tech has a medical group in El Paso, Miss Texas Tech, and found a very supportive VBAC OB. She was wonderful. She um, supported my decision to hire a doula. She had worked with my doula before. Um, She very much made sure that we were on the same page and that I felt supported. Um, She didn't do excessive checks. I had two ultrasounds. 
um, throughout the whole prenatal experience. And then I was, I think I was 39 weeks pregnant. And she's like, I'm just, she said, do you want me to do a check now? We don't have to. And I said, yeah, go ahead. And I'm trying to remember the timeline now. It must've been at 39 weeks because Matthew was only born a day late. She's like, okay, you're two centimeters. I think you're having some light contractions. You're probably going to go to labor this weekend and I'm not going to be here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks. So we kind of devised a plan ahead of time. She's like, I know you really want to have a be back. I want you to labor at home as long as you can. Uh, be in contact with your doula and she can help you kind of navigate the early stages of labor. And that's exactly what I did. I was in prodromal labor for about five days. I was having really um, stronger contractions that I could feel, but they weren't consistent in any way until like five days later, I had a small tear in my amniotic sac where I was leaking fluid regularly, but not enough to actually lose fluid. So it was super fun. I was like wearing the pens. <laughs> oh man i'm like i'm just gonna you know i'd stand up and like lose some fluid and you know and john's you know watching me this time he he missed all of this the first time <laughs> so he's watching me so well how much how much fluid can you lose before you run out? and i'm like i keep making more like not losing that much people don't a lot of people don't realize <laughs> you continue you continue to make amniotic fluid <laughs> yes i'm like no he's he's fine i'm not i don't have a fever he's still kicking away I'm just little bits and just little bits. It feels like a lot because if you put any kind of moisture in clothing, it feels like a lot, but it wasn't that much. Um, so kept walking, kept walking, kept, you know, having contractions. They'd get worse at night. They wouldn't be consistent at all. Wake up the next morning and go walking again. <laughs> oh, for five days. <laughs> it was very frustrating. And I think the, uh, I was kind of mocking the use of castor oil. I'm like, oh, that doesn't work. <laughs> totally what worked for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I had castor oil on Saturday morning and I think finally kicked it into active labor. Where, you know, I'd be going walking around the park and then we were walking back and by the mailboxes, I'd be like, I just had to stop. And my mom's looking at me like, you're not going to, you're not going to give birth here, are you? I'm like, no, I just can't walk through this contraction. Just, <laughs> I think we're here now. Oh. And, uh, I was texting my doula and she, she was great in that she knew all the hospital policies. So I'm, you know, asking her, maybe I should go get my water broken to really speed things up. And she's like, okay, well, if you do that at the hospital you're delivering at, they're not going to let you walk around. They're going to put an IV on you. You're going to be on vaginist. If you do this, and she was so, you know, this is just how it's going to be. If you want to do that, I will be there for you. So always my choice, but she was made sure I was very informed, which was just fantastic. That's amazing. You don't always know yeah. Yeah. what you're walking into when you walk into it. Exactly. If, if I had known in Germany that I was in a, I just wanted to go get checked out and they were like, no, you're going to be admitted now. If I had known that I would have waited a little bit longer. Yeah. So, I mean, her experience was you know, that service was worth its weight in gold. I would hands down recommend um, hiring a doula just to advocate for you. She was so wonderful for me. And she was so wonderful at directing John. <laughs> he had no idea what to do when we were like in transition time for labor. 
So it came down to it. It was time to go. We went to the hospital. And I think it was two hours later, we had a baby. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, I showed up. And they're like, you know, they're calling the nurses. It was a Saturday. They're calling the nurses. We have a woman who appears to be in very active labor. And I'm like <laughs> having the desk and a contraction appears to be. I'm, I'm very much in labor. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I think I showed up at the hospital at eight centimeters. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you've uh, successfully completed your trial of labor. <laughs> so there was, there. there was no question at that point. They were all supportive of you delivering yeah. vaginally when you showed yeah. up right on. I think they asked me if I wanted to see section. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm here <laughs> having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody get some gloves on. <laughs> yeah. Here, here we go. Here, we're going. No time. And um poor John has PTSD from the event. He just he's like, you don't you don't understand. There was a lot of blood. I'm like, oh. Do you remember how thirsty I was in the beginning? I was making all that blood because you're supposed to lose the blood. And there you go. There you go. It's normal. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fine. It was it was a beautiful experience. It was all natural. There was no medications. It was born vaginally. Um, and everything was fantastic. And I was just so clear afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like before I was drugged up after having a C-section with Christopher and I was just kind of like this such an odd thing I mean it was still an odd thing I just had a baby but I'm like what that really just happened but I was just I remember it so specifically it was so clear that I was um giving birth to him and then it was like I was I come back into a completely different person I'm like oh my gosh here he is is that a baby I remember that skin to skin for an hour that that difference of just being clear-headed is just so it's so different I had the same experience I was laughing. I was smiling and I was holding my baby and, you know, we had skin to skin for the first hour. Uh, he nursed right away. And, um, I did not get delayed cord clamping. I wish that was something that was respected more, but at the, the moment in time, the doctor's trying to tell me what she would allow. And I was, you know, having contractions. I'm, like, I'm just gonna going to go ahead and be in labor here and if you ask me any more questions I might kick you so <laughs> go away <laughs> so yes what was your postpartum so, yes, experience was like fantastic mm-hmm. it was better um it was still hard breastfeeding remains to be challenging for me um we got to supplement with other breast milk this time though instead of for right for about five months my next door neighbor happened to give birth three weeks after I did, and she was an overproducer. And she's like, I don't know what to do with this freezer full of milk. Do you know where I could, you know, she texts me, Do you know what I can do with extra breast milk? <laughs> like, uh, walk it next door. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Bring it over, please. And she did, and it was it was fantastic. So I was struggling with Matthew. I mean, I'm he may have had a posterior tie too. He had a little bit of a lip tie. Um, I just didn't seem to be producing that much and I was pumping regularly and then I would feed him and then I would pump afterwards and really try to increase my supply. And it was, it was a little bit of a challenge. Um, 
he just wasn't gaining that much weight. He wasn't really losing weight, but he wasn't gaining weight. And and then I got my next door neighbor to supplement for me for about five months. It was just so it was about half me, half her. It's fantastic. And then we switched over to hip formula again. And but we continued even with that, we continued to breastfeed until he was almost three. So we were able to maintain that nursing relationship and that magicness of if he's upset or he needs to go to sleep, he still had me as a comfort, which was invaluable as well. Um, I think Christopher really could have benefited from that. I mean, I rocked with Christopher too, but it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same. And Christopher, I think even since that, when he was a little bit older, because Matthew would fall down and I, you know, he would be crying and upset and I would just nurse him and he would feel better like a minute later. And Christopher actually looked at me once and he's like, well, what are you doing? And I'm nursing your brother. I'm like, Why don't I do that? And I'm like, you can, if you want to. And he tried and he completely forgot. And then he got upset because he didn't know what he was supposed to do. And he was like, you know, two at the time. And I just, I'm like, well, how about a hug instead? It's like, okay. <laughs> you know, so even trying to reduce it, I, he just wanted to feel close to me. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I try to, it's so hard to even explain breastfeeding to a, somebody who hasn't done it, but it's so much more than nutrition. So much more. Yeah, there's definite connection and comfort. And if you're just creating an entire safe space. And for little brains that are experiencing a very big world, a safe space is very much um, craved by them. Well said. Well said. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Jen, looking back, like, is there anything you wish you could have, like, told yourself before you you know, went through these experiences? Um, trust myself more, trust my knowledge more. Germany was kind of an interesting experience. I wasn't um, actively practicing there because the status of forces agreement really didn't allow me to unless I was, unless I spoke fluent German and treated Germans. Um, so I kind of felt a little disconnected even from my training it took me a little while to kind of get back into that and really like remember everything I had been taught um but I still needed to trust my previous knowledge uh creating a new experience which I think is very hard unless you've experienced it yourself you don't know when to trust and when to surrender or when to do both So I was kind of defaulting a lot of my choices that maybe could have turned out a little bit differently for Christopher. I don't have too many complaints. Both boys are happy and healthy and thriving even now. Um, (laughs) Through repeated military moves and (laughs) starting new schools and all the things that can challenge kids. They're doing very well. Um, but vastly different birth experiences. And I think I would feel a lot closer uh, during Christopher's, you know, key moment times from like ages one to three, if I was able to have a natural birth and bonded to him right after birth, I was separated him for an hour after he was delivered. He was taken away by the midwife. My mom got to hold him before I did while I was in recovery for an hour, just kind of coming off of the, um, the meds they used. So it was, 
challenging, but that happened to me too. And it is just like the, one of my biggest regrets, you know, too, that I didn't push, um, for, to have her right away. Cause it was hospital policy and there is nothing like that wet baby on your chest. There's just nothing, nothing like it. I'm so glad that I, I do see people who have C-sections these days who do get that, who, who, where they are not separated and they put baby on mama's chest anyway, even after a C-section immediately. And then they're never separated. So mm-hmm. I sure wish I had had that. Yes, me too. No, he, uh, he was pulled out and immediately cleaned up and placed next to my head. As I'm sure yours was as well. You kind of, I mean, he was mad. <laughs> he did not want to be taken out. He was mad. I'm like, I'm mm. sorry, buddy. I'll, I'll see you soon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, one thing, as I was he- hearing you talk about your, um, experiences with different providers, when you were seeking a VBAC, um, I, I just, I want to highlight that it's so I've been through this with many patients over the years where they're telling me, so they, they want a VBAC, they had a C-section and they're very much wanting a, a vaginal birth after cesarean. And they're telling me about what their provider is telling them. This doctor who su- supposedly is going to let them try for a VBAC. Um, I'm going to let you. You're and I, right. And I hear red flag after red flag after red flag. And inevitably that person ends up with a, sec- with a second C-section. So yeah, I, it's amazing. You were, had the courage to switch providers. Well, <laughs> I, I forgot about this part. Um, as an individual seeking a VBAC in true army fashion, they had me, um, attend a training course (laughs) that the hospital put on for all moms seeking VBACs. And it was like put on by one of the doctors and like, here are the, it was basically an algorithm. Like here are the markers we're looking for. That's going to increase your chances of having a successful VBAC. And it was like, if you um, didn't go over 41 weeks. If you made it progress past five centimeters in your labor with your first child or your, you know, last time you had a C-section, all of these things I didn't do. <laughs> like I went longer than 41 weeks. I didn't make it past two centimeters. I, they were just thinking that because I had these markers and there was, I think five or six of them that I was just not able to have a vaginal birth. And even the Germans were like, I think your baby's too big. And I'm like, for people who don't know me, I'm a six foot tall. <laughs> I'm going to have a big baby. <laughs> I'm able to birth a big baby. <laughs> and I'm looking at the German doctor like, really? <laughs> I don't think that's Seriously? <laughs> for the record, Matthew was slightly larger at eight pounds, 13 ounces, I believe. And he can't just fine. Yeah. With a giant head, just like my husband's. And he came out just fine. So yeah, same here. My VBAC was 10 pounds, five ounces. My C-section where they told me she was too big was nine pounds, 15. So it has nothing, nothing to do with it. It's so frustrating. And yeah, you might pick babies. <laughs> my babies are generally hefty inside. You make big babies. Big babies. You can birth them. Yes. I just, I, I hope, um, I hope somebody who's seeking a VBAC will, will hear this and, 
and find a provider who develop, delivers VBACs regularly where you are not an anomaly and they just bring you in and they're like, yeah, you got this. Cause that's how my midwife was. She was phenomenal. And she, you know, was with me every step of the way. She had faith in my body when I didn't. And it, it yeah, had phenomenal care. Now my doctor was, she was so, um, supportive and, oh yeah, if that, you know, she was able to, she told me that she would be able to roll with the punches, but she's like, okay, I will allow this. I will, you know, she was very comfortable with sitting and waiting and not going to manage the, the birth. And when she knew she wasn't going to be there, I provided a plan that was supportive all over again. And so not being able to progress was one of those fears that I had to kind of work through. And in one of those five days of labor, it was like, I, I have through and trust your body that it is comfortable while it's doing that right now. Trust your body. That's so, it's so hard. It, but it's so that's hard the key. to trust your body. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, that was the key was having a provider who was, who helped me figure out how to trust my body. And like, I had the same thing. I only progressed to two centimeters with my first labor uh, labor. And, and so I had this, this, this thing in my head that I couldn't progress past two. And my midwife had to really help me get over that just mental block because yeah, it's so important. Yeah, being able to trust your body when you're being tested is is one of the hardest things you have to do. Yeah. But you just don't know how hard it's going to no. be until you're there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, is there anything else you want to end with? Any thoughts or things you want to share? I feel like I've been talking nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was so fun. This is so fun. I just, I, it's so funny how similar our stories are in some respects. And I just, I hope there's some mom out there who is considering a VBAC who might listen to this and just kind of realize that, that she can do it. She can do it too. That VBAC is really possible. When you look at the data, um, it's statistically safer than a second C-section. And as far as risk of, you know, complications and, and bad stuff. So yeah. When I tell this story, a uh, very much abridged version of this story to all my patients who are seeking a VBAC, like, yes, this is possible. And you, you know, you can do it without the support of that provider, but the, having the support of that provider is a night and day difference. There's someone who can um, provide that little extra oomph when you're having your doubts of knowing what your body can do. It's, it's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Cairo Mom podcast. Um, we will be back. I'm not sure what we're doing next, but stay tuned. Thanks again for joining us today on the Cairo Mom podcast. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our next episode. And follow us on Instagram at Cairo Mom Podcast.